0: Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard.
1: Hello and welcome back to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can think of us as well. Car talk, because we focus on where the rubber meets the virtual road. And with me on this epic trip, and with me on this epic trip down the information superhighway, is my awesome co-host Andy Leonard. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing well, Frank. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm actually um, at the office today and uh, found a nice quiet spot to record nice and um, just got off a pretty interesting meeting um, talking about all things uh, soups and nuts about kind of big data um, you know uh, IOT transportation drones Ooh. Um, oh, it's fancy it's fancy yeah I, I, to quote Hunter Thompson I feel like I'm on the main nerve
2: <laughs> I like it <laughs> I
1: like what's it. new with you?
2: oh well I have a new toy oh yeah yeah Yes,
1: are you Alexa, say hello. Hello. Nice. So I understand it, that uh, you have. Uh, I think you just published a skill, or you will have it published shortly. Certainly by the I, time people are listening.
2: I hope so. Yeah, I don't. So this brand new to me. I um I set up this feed thing and did a quick uh, audio, which I'll be mentioning here at the end of what's up with me. But yeah, I've been playing with. I got a spot, an echo spot. Oh cool. Uh, it's got a cute little screen on it and it tells me things like the temperature here in Farmable and and stuff like that. So it is, and I'm i I'm working on one for us. Um, I would love nice. for us to be able to have a skill. Um, and that boy that sounds bad, doesn't it? I was gonna uh, say, like, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, so for those Alexa that are listening. Skill.
1: Yes. So those that are listening, they Alexa doesn't have skills, it has apps. I mean, wait, 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 wait. Maybe we say that. Uh, yes. It has, does not have apps per se. It ha- they call them skills, right? So, you know uh, Comes with a, some in the box like weather timer But you can add skills. So for instance, I wrote a skill after attending uh, they had like a, a workshop in DC so if you want to know all about the the um, Happenings in Germantown, Maryland, there's like a skill I wrote that'll tell you like where to get coffee You know good place to eat that sort of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I was just modifying a JSON file that's it yeah, yeah it's, now you, it's go ahead no so go ahead
2: no i was just i was going to say probably same thing i mean we're the one i'm i set up for me i was tinkering around with well actually not for me more for uh, enterprise data and analytics but uh, i set up a similar one for data driven and it's they're both flash briefings so a uh, flash briefings are nice i picked a few i've got a handful i've kind of you know, picked my way through and said, "Yeah, I want to hear that one." No, I don't. After a couple of times, um, some of them are just too long. But I like to listen to some stuff about business. Um, I, you'll you'll enjoy this part, Frank. You know how I hate news, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't like to. Well, it's not that I hate the news. It's just when I listen to it, it makes my blood pressure go up, and that's unhealthy. <laughs> I'm I'm almost fifty five. I got to watch my blood pressure and stuff, but. I started doing the um, uh, a news flash briefing from Europe, mm-hmm. and that one uh, surprisingly does not make my blood pressure go up. Now, here's the thing I noticed about it is, just to check, I actually ran a few days with a couple, three, uh, some from here and that one from there, and the ones from here made my blood pressure go up. The one there did not.
1: Yeah, the American news media has become... No, it's more like a circus meets reality TV show. It's a bit, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I like to call it uh, actually because uh, they play one of the news networks at every Microsoft office. So every time I'm in, I'm like, I, I just get my eye rolling exercises done.
2: I Yeah, I visited that uh, Microsoft office um, last week. We got to do that data point in person That's for right. the 50K downloads. That was astounding. <laughs> um, you know, that was great. You know, Frank, do you have any, like, big announcement, trumpet fanfare, sound effects? I know you've got a bunch. Let's
1: see. Um, hmm. Is it dramatic? How about that? Um,
2: ooh, I kind of like that. It's good, isn't it? Not so, loud. I could say, I feel like I should get close to the microphone and talk in a deep voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, sort of. So, just, it's not, it's not soup yet, but... Uh, the next release of Bemel, Bemel 2018, um, is in release candidate uh, mode right now. They've announced it on Twitter. Um, the Bemel Heroes have been kind of running release candidates for a while, betas and release candidates for a while now. But it's really cool that they're this close. Um, they released one uh, late last night. For me, it was like after dark, which is crazy late for me. And... Um, so, I got it this morning. I've, I've installed it, but I haven't tested it yet. I've got to put it through the, the tests, the things that I've been waiting for. Uh, but one really cool feature with Bemel Express is that now in the free version, you can take an SSIS package and reverse engineer it. Basically, you can turn it into Bemel. What? So, yeah, and it's free. So, wow. uh, previously, and I want to say in July last year is when they released this feature. They added the preview window to, uh, to Bemel Express, which means you can type in the upper window and kind of code your Bemil. And then um, and I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what triggers it. I think it may be doing it in real time, but certainly you can save and it will regenerate what you've written. So if you've written, say, a Bemil script that says loop through all of the tables in this database and build, you know, some Bemil based on that. Um, and maybe there's like 10 tables in a, in a database, it'll show you down in the bottom screen, the preview window will show you like the demo it's going to generate for 10 uh, SSIS packages if you're doing one package per table, which is what I recommend. Um, but now, yeah, the, the reverse engineer, what they call the uh, convert from SSIS, that feature is going to be in the uh, you know, in the next version. And it's actually, I've used it a couple of times in demos, I've, uh, I've shown it, and it's it's impressive i I'm, I'm very impressed i'm i'm really impressed it's free <laughs> um but they so there's three products bemol express which is free bemol studio which is like an integrated development environment uh just for bemol development and it has more features and more functionality obviously than the free version and then bemol flex which is a framework a bemol framework so i was looking at the page for that they got um, I don't know if they've been updating it recently or not, but I hadn't looked in a while and I saw some different stuff, but they're doing everything in, uh, in BIML with this new release. I'm excited. Oh,
1: that's very it. cool. We'll have to do a deep dive on BIML. Um, we, we will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for those of you who don't, don't know, we do well, we do several types of shows and we are we are data-driven at data-driven and we look, huh? boom, oh wait, I had the actual thing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, we, 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 so we have several different types of shows. If you're a regular subscriber, we're not going to bore you with all the, uh, descriptions, but if you're not a regular subscriber, we basically kind of do data points, which are quick, um, five, 10 minute shows. Um, and we also do deep dives and we also do primarily interview shows like this. Um, speaking of which we have a very patient guest, uh, he, 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 uh, <laughs> Andy could read the bio straight from LinkedIn, but he is a C-level executive now, but we know him way back when in the, uh, Northern Virginia, Central Virginia, uh, developer community as a blend Silverlight and WPF expert, super smart guy. Uh, we both worked at the same company twice, although one time at the same time, uh, I actually, (laughs) um, I actually recommended him for the job he had at Microsoft. Uh, where he got to do some very interesting stuff. Um, and there's even a selfie or two with some political figures that he can maybe talk about or not talk about, depending on <laughs> how he feels. Um, but, um, but he's, uh, he's a, he's a, he's a longtime technologist. He, um, he was at a company for a, a good number of years, did a lot of uh, good work in the community, building out Silverlight, building out uh, uh, user groups on LinkedIn. And, um, Am uh, I missing anything, Andy? I, I feel like I am.
2: Well, he, you know, he he did a lot at that uh, at that one company on, um, and he was kind of early into the geospatial stuff. Ah, um, I, I would say that he was an MVP. That's right. A blend MVP for a while. I'm looking at the bio. I'm just, uh, I'm not. This is stuff I'm remembering about Joel. Um, he's also a really, really nice guy. I, I don't say that often. Not, I just, if I don't say it, it either means I forgot, or maybe you're just not that nice one <laughs> of the two, but I'm going to play the turn 55 card here again. It's just, let's chalk it up to forgetting because that's easier to forgive. That's uh, funny.
1: Uh, <laughs> like, he's a great guy. Welcome to the show. Joel Cochran. Um, How's it going, Joel? Great, guys. Thank you.
0: And uh, Andy, I'll, I'll accept about 50% of what you said. I, I'll, deny, I'll deny the other 50%. So. And, but, but, here's, but here's the thing. I'm not telling anyone which 50%. So.
1: Oh, well, There you go. Now, there you go. So that sounds like a man who yeah. works in the political space. Who, me? <laughs> yes, you
0: uh I, I do sort of uh, it, it, uh it, <laughs> i don't know how to answer that um no i i, I have oh, very yes, well played. thank you
1: i wish there was an the applause uh, sound effect i would just i don't
0: accept the premise of the question that's i think that's the correct response to that <laughs> uh,
1: now yeah. you have to say thank you very much for the question and, and now let me uh, talk about something
0: to... <laughs> completely different right <laughs> uh yeah no i so i work really in the periphery of the political space uh Which is fortunate because it means I don't really like and by don't really i mean never deal directly with say public figures or candidates or anything of that nature. I have had the odd experience once in a while where I've gotten to meet some of those folks uh but uh but but that's sort of the extent of that, and so the work that i did at microsoft and the work that i do with a company that i'm doing now supports that environment but isn't directly part of the political process
1: that's fair that's fair so we i actually saw you i think on tv briefly running around uh, was it the iowa caucus in 2016 yeah
0: actually probably the most yeah, yeah well, probably the most interesting thing i've ever gotten to be involved with uh, for you know for professional reasons Um, The the Microsoft, for folks who may not be aware, Microsoft was heavily invested in the Iowa caucuses in 2016. Uh, uh, The team that I was on wrote and was responsible for uh, training and deploying and then uh, kind of managing a series of applications that were used on both sides of the aisle uh, during the Iowa caucuses in 2016 to ensure the integrity of the event. Uh, and then outside of my team, Microsoft also built and hosted the uh, communication center. So all of the video that you saw, all the interviews that you saw, um, live streaming of interviews that went out over Skype across the, the planet to other countries, because there were you know, a whole bunch of other countries, of course, sent reporters to the event. And all that was built, uh, hosted, and run by Microsoft. And so I got to be on the ground for that. Uh, and it was really, really exciting stuff.
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I I worked uh, two offices down from Joel, and and the stuff that they were doing was was pretty interesting. Uh, I remember one time I saw you in the office, and you had this crazy machine learning model like up on your screen, and I just looked at it. I was like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Well, I'm doing." And you said, and "I was like, I'm like." My first thought was, "Is that even possible?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and then you you said, "Well, we'll find out." <laughs> so.
0: I can't take responsibility for that. I'm sure someone smarter than me wrote that. But yeah, there's some great guys up in Boston, actually, that worked for Microsoft that were helping us write some uh, some machine learning algorithms uh, and also train some of our customers on how to do that. And so in the 2016 election cycle, there were a number of companies that were deploying predictive modeling through Azure machine learning. So that, was, that was really cool.
1: Interesting. And I think we've seen kind of um, certainly since 2008 and 2012 and you know when when we start picking apart 2016 uh, we'll kind of see how much how much of our politics are driven by data
0: absolutely it's it's the key it's really the key to everything and it, it really goes all the way back to 2000 uh, 2000 was the first campaign campaign cycle excuse me let me say that again 2000 was the first campaign cycle that really Leveraged data uh, in, in the the kind you know in in sort of a recognizable format the the way that you would think of it today you know people on the ground collecting data and posting it to a central location and then it being picked up and and someone doing some kind of analysis over it to inform bigger decisions uh, in, in not exactly in real time right but but close
1: enough. Uh, well, what, what counted for real time in two thousand?
0: Yeah, sure, ab- absolutely, right. Certainly, much faster than they had before. And so the the um, the Bush campaign in two thousand was very progressive in that regard. And that's that's a funny joke to po- folks who are in politics, and <laughs> not funny at all to people who don't live in my yeah. world. So. And then they did, you know, they they sort of kind of continued in 2004, what they did in 2000, not as well. And then uh, Obama's campaign in 2008 really picked up the ball uh, and just and just shoved it downfield, right? I mean, they were the first ones to really engage with social media, uh, where, whereas the Republicans sort of, the, they learned their lessons, but they didn't increase their knowledge, right? So they sort of lagged behind in 2008. Uh, and the results are obvious, right? The Ob- Obama won, you know, fairly handily in modern, (laughs) according to modern standards. Right. Um, And a lot of that was driven by the use of data, the use of information, the use of technology and, and back then the beginnings of what became, you know, predictive modeling for politics.
2: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because, um, I, I, I do presentations still at user groups and SQL Saturdays and, um, I even, I think, I think they announced the past summit speakers, uh, today as we were recording this. And, um, I think I was picked because I see a bunch of social media tagging me and stuff. So anyway, one of my slides is about data engineering, data wrangling, data munging, and a quote from Lars Nielsen's book, Unicorns Among Us, where he says that it's 50 to 80% of the work. And I, you know, my next, um, image that I superimpose over the, uh, this page from the book is, you know, I ask people, what can you do if we get this right? And I say, we can change the world. And I, it's a story from CNN 2012, President Obama's reelection campaign. And they qu- the quote in there is that they ran the election, simulated the election 66,000 times a night.
0: That's impressive. That That is definitely impressive. The. Uh-
2: it is it. It's part of the reason you were hanging out in Iowa in 2016, because the rumor that I heard uh, between 2014 and 2016 was that um, that guy went around telling that story a lot, not just to CNN. And he mentioned that they did it on uh, IBM hardware and Microsoft basically said, we want whoever wins to say we did it on Microsoft hardware. And so they got a little more engaged, I think, in the 2016 election
0: well we were definitely engaged I, I i don't know what the uh what the generation of that was right or what the original motivation was but by the time i came on board yeah we were we were heavily engaged and and we got a lot of accolades yeah. and again all this is from both sides of the aisle right we got a lot of accolades because you know some of these folks had been around in previous cycles and had been burned by other companies. I'm not going to name names and I'm not trying to, to diss anyone. But it was the first time that a, an organization like Microsoft had really invested the proper resources uh, into supporting an effort like this, right? So it was, a, it was really a new paradigm. I mean, no one else had, had done anything like at this level and offered this kind of support. And again, in a very
1: bipartisan way. Right, and I think it's important because whenever you mention politics, particularly at the, uh, I think we talked about this, the, the news cycle, the way things are, at least in the U.S., there's a, this versus that, there's not, there the the, the notion of doing something for the civic good has been kind of lost to history. <laughs> um, and uh, Microsoft is always very conscious to make sure that, you know, they, they they treated everybody equally in terms of the political engagement. Um yeah. And, um, yep. you know, I remember um, I was in a public sector role and prior to uh, the team's creation and we were trying to do, I was on the periphery of kind of supporting um, some of the, the work for the conventions in the 2012 cycle. And it was just pretty clear, like, you know, it was amazing how not technically savvy that space in general was. And then ultimately Microsoft kind of crafted that, you right. know, in 2016, let's do this big and let's do this um seriously and then the but the, the, by fortune or, or 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 fate or destiny i ended up on that uh on, on part of that team that ultimately joel ended up on and uh by the way joel i got the referral bonus for for them hiring joel so and that was you're welcome yeah yeah, thank you <laughs> that, that was that that was my 76 el dorado convertible uh, money right there, So eight. Yeah, every time I see the car I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Joel. Thank you, Joe.
0: Always always happy to lend a hand.
1: So. <laughs> no, but it was great. I mean, uh, I think uh I think you had um you you had tried to work uh, uh interviewed at Microsoft in the past and just for one reason or the other it didn't work out. And then you were also kind of caught up in the Silverlight uh, apocalypse.
0: <laughs> so I I will uh, I will claim a small bit of prescience in that regard, uh, accidental though it may have been. Um, yes, we were doing a lot of XAML work. I was really more focused on WPF than Silverlight, but we were doing some Silverlight stuff, and we, it was it was a struggle. I mean, Silverlight was a great platform, don't get me wrong, um, but it was kind of a struggle, and we sort of ended up falling backwards into. MVC to to doing ASP.net became very heavily invested in JavaScript, spending tons and tons of time on JavaScript to the point where I was doing all day workshops, trying to teach other C Sharp developers how how not to hate JavaScript. And uh, so I was already in that space, and I'd done less and less Silverlight when the whole Windows 8 thing uh kind of killed <laughs> killed xaml right killed well killed blend so blend as frank mentioned blend earlier and i you know there aren't many people around who really knew blend very well and i was one of the five or six of them so uh you know i i have very fond memories of of blend uh in particular
1: yeah so for those of you who are listening and have no idea what we're talking about blend was a uh was a Uh, a a design tool, user interface design tool, I guess you could call it, that would generate XAML for you.
0: Yes. And, and, uh, you know, Microsoft developed it. It was a fantastic tool. It really was. I literally wrote a book on it. Um, And Microsoft built it and marketed it and thought of it as a designer's tool, trying to appeal to that market of folks who usually work in things like Adobe and Uh, you know, and other such products. Uh, And of course, those are 800-pound gorilla uh, products. There's, you know, they weren't really going to break into that space, uh, which they didn't realize. But what I realized was that it was a fantastic developer's tool for for developing the UI. Because it's something that traditionally developers are not known for is their great UI development skills. And and the cool thing about Blend is it really appealed to the developer in me that it let me do those things without having to really kind of be a, a you know a, a died in the world developer type. So and and it integrated great with Visual Studio and it, you know it was it was wonderful. It was a really really nice package that ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, it is still technically deployed but it's nothing today like like what I remember it being,
1: you know, 10 years ago. Right. So right. as someone who then made the switch from kind of the client-side development to data science, uh, did you want to – you want to talk about that, uh, how you made the switch? Yeah. <laughs> sure. So uh, for, I, I want to be completely fair,
0: and uh, in, in, uh, I understand this is the data-driven podcast. I am a data-driven developer. I don't think of myself as a data scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've met real, honest-to-goodness data scientists, and those guys are crazy smart, and they do things that I don't understand. I like to think that I probably do things that they don't understand <laughs> too. Um, but but the things that they do are far more impressive. Um, and so I don't I don't I don't elevate myself to that level. Uh, however, my career's had a weird kind of trajectory that looks like a. a Calculus graph, you know. <laughs> um, I, I've spent you know, I've spent years doing UI work, and that's really what folks in the community knew me for when I was really active in the in the community. And it was whether whether it was you know teaching people how to write JavaScript on the on, and pushing things out to the front end, or whether it was. Blend so that you could develop WPF apps, or even long long before I got involved in the Microsoft community, uh, I started my career as an RPG developer in the AS400, and I was known in that community for kind of pushing the boundaries of what you can do in a 24 by 80 text screen. Um, You know, and I, I wrote a bunch of articles about. Uh, how to improve the user experience, you know, through things that weren't really widely used, like uh, uh, windowing systems and pop-up menus and subfiles. And at this point, I'm getting into things that absolutely nobody else under on the call will understand. Um,
1: so, when you say RPG, so, was that a, was yeah. that was that role-playing game or something else? Uh rocket propelled grenade. Yeah, that's always well that was my first my guess, favorite. but I yeah. I figured that, so, so you were a game developer <laughs> or no? Am I completely off base? Uh,
0: no. Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. I thought you were kidding because I was kidding. Um no, RPG was report program generator. It's a language that, believe it or not, started in the 60s at IBM. It's an IBM proprietary language. <laughs> um and it's gone through several revisions, and it's of course much more modern now than it was then, but it has this columnar. Designed to it, both both in the coding experience and in the uh, in the visual UI experience, because it doesn't, it's all text. It doesn't support Direct doesn't natively support. At least I, I shouldn't say doesn't. Did not. I have no idea what it does now because I haven't looked at it in a long time. Uh, but RPG was this tiny little crazy productive business language. So it only had like fifty keywords, but it was integrated into the AS400 operating system. Hmm. As as was the database. Hmm. So so when you got a machine, uh, the the operating system and the database and the programming environment were just there. Uh, And so, you know, as an RPG developer, the first thing that you learn is open file inside your code. And what that means is connect to a database table. So uh, file in AS400 speak means uh, table. So you know, the very first thing you learn how to do is talk to a database. And every program that you write talks to a database. And I never saw an RPG program that didn't talk to the database. So I, you know, I did that for years before I got into Java uh, and, and PHP and eventually C sharp and some other languages. And all of those, none, you know, they they all lacked in my mind because they didn't have this concept of a native connection to the database. It was one of the hardest things besides the fact that RPG is a procedural language. Uh, and of course everything else that, that we deal with today is pretty much object that I deal with today is pretty much object oriented. Uh, and so that was my first huge paradigm shift, right? It was shifting away from, uh, from IBM land into the the bigger world. <laughs> right. And we like, the, you know, and, and I discovered things like ODBC. Oh, I can connect to other databases. Wait, what? You know, um, What's this, What what is this <laughs> SQL thing that you talk of? You know, and uh, so, it, you know, it, uh, that was uh, not the first thing, you know, where a lot of folks learn uh, C-sharp first or they learn Java first, and then they learn databases later. Uh, when you're an IBM or RPG developer, you learn databases first. So I've always been a database first or a data first developer, regardless of what kind of software I'm building at the time. So so i've always had the, i think a closer connection to data and data operations than than your typical developer has and so uh, when the you know when the opportunity came up to do more than just application development right and to and again this was part of my role at microsoft starting to support agencies who are dealing with larger data you know customers who were trying to do machine learning right um, but they're the, the, the interesting thing is that those folks by and large in that in that world are not developers right they're not software guys they're political guys mm. who came to data as a tool whereas i'm a i'm a data guy who develops software, and now I have this sort of expertise that they don 't have and if we can merge these things together, they can do some really interesting work. And so, that was sort of how I I ended up, you know, in, in a company today whose primary focus is is big data, right? Is data analytics. Interesting.
2: Well, you guys do a lot of demographics data, right?
0: We leverage a lot of it. Yeah, we yeah, we, yeah we're not an originator. We're not a data originator, but right. we collect right uh, data from a a bunch of different sources, and then we synthesize. Uh we analyze we do you know we do a lot of predictive modeling, we do a lot of demographics analytics um a lot of geographic analytics you know. right. so so yeah, that's all kind of part and parcel of of modern political data,
1: so to use the data that's, as the new oil analogy you're you're of refinery, if you will, yeah,
0: I think that's a that's a good analogy um because the raw data a lot of times is not very useful right. You know and 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 even just extracting a subset of that data that's appropriate to the question that you're trying to ask can be really challenging. Um, you know, we have a you know give or take uh, three hundred terabytes uh, of data at any one time that we're actively working with. Wow. So so it's not like you could just you know open up SSMs and and write a select statement you know you just it just doesn't work that way as anybody else i know who's listening works with big data understands right Mm -hmm. so uh so so yeah we're you know i think of us as a factory you know we take in the we take in the raw components of the data uh we refine the data and then at the end of it we produce something else that's actually consumable and usable by our customers
1: interesting so you you that's kind of your value add, if you will. It's kind of like an interesting place in the ecosystem.
0: Yeah. So our our uh, our motto basically is, and they they adopted AI <laughs> uh, before I got there. Uh, just I'll throw my my friends at the company under the bus a little bit. Uh, but it's actionable intelligence. Oh, I like that. Right. Yeah. So that that's sort of the company motto uh, or the company logo. Uh, no don't don't use logo that's the that's the company model okay. uh, is that you know is is actionable intelligence and the idea behind that of course is that you know anyone can run queries we're going to give you information that you can actually do something with, and then we kind of take it one step further in our relationship with our customers and we and we will actually tell them what the data means and how to leverage it in their current situation
1: interesting so how did you get started with data science or I know you don't call yourself a data scientist but clearly you 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 you're probably yeah. more like an AI engineer or an ML engineer. How did you if if I don't know if you like hipster terms or whatever but um I yeah, I don't. I'm too old for that. I don't I don't do the whole
0: hipster thing. Uh, um but I but the you know did Basically, so my first real exposure to machine learning was again at, you know, at, at Microsoft. You know, as they with with really the first version of uh, of AML right, of Azure Machine Learning, um, and I, I sat down with some of the guys who were engineers on the, the machine learning team, and they actually taught me, you know, uh, what how machine learning works, and I, so I understand. Testing models and training models, and I understand uh, evaluations. Uh, and the thing that, in particular, that I like about Azure Machine Learning is that you know all those all those algorithms are just there, and you drag and drop and create a pipeline and you know, adjust a couple settings. Like a lot of other great Microsoft products, right. that's you know it's it's built in that kind of environment. Um, and, and Causeway, the the company that I work for now. Uh, When I was at Microsoft, Causeway was running near the end of the 2016 cycle. I think it was a million and a half rows a day uh, of data through Azure Machine Learning. Right. So they were, you know, so, I mean, it was really, really heavily used. It was active and it was, it was actually part of a real world scenario. So, um Hmm. So that was sort of how I got into machine learning and I you know I gave some talks on kind of intro to machine learning again really at a high level cuz I don't so what I I don't think I could do because I don't have the math and statistics background I don't think I could sit down and write those algorithms but the beautiful thing is I don't have to right, right. because they're there already and they're encapsulated right. for me and and I do know enough to understand what linear regression is and what multiple regression is uh and and the environment for azure machine learning makes it really easy for you to test out different paths and then just deploy the one that gives you the best results yeah you know? so that's that was sort of my entry into. Into machine learning, uh, and, and that's as close as I get to data science. What I really think of as data science, most of the other work that I do right. is data wrangling. Um, and really, there are smarter people at our company who do that stuff. What I what I really tried to do is supply them with the tools and the technology, and solve problems, and create processes. Uh, and And now we're, you know, we're we're moving very heavily into an automation. Cycle right where we're trying to take those these really complicated processes that have to go through many steps and layers, uh, and and to automate those through things like the Azure Data Factory, uh, and we're getting also really heavily into serverless computing. So we're you know we're starting to leverage Logic Apps and Azure Functions, and there's just a a lot of really awesome stuff out there right now uh, that. That with my development background, I'm able to bring to the table so that, again, these people who really understand the analytics and who are really closer to data scientists can do more with their time.
2: Very cool. So you've talked a lot about the history, how you got into it, and you've been doing it for, I'd say, more than a couple of years, a few years now. At least six. At least six. Okay, great. So, (laughs) I mean, you kind of see it evolve You've seen it evolve, right? So where do you see it going?
0: So there's, uh, probably, you know, leveraging cognitive services, uh, I think is sort of the next big step. Um, so, uh, I, I was just at the build conference a couple of weeks ago and I got to spend a little bit of time with the guys on the media indexer team, uh, and media mm. indexing has been around, you know, for a while now, uh, uh a, a couple jobs ago, I worked at a a, a company where we built a video player. Uh, we, we didn't actually build the player; we built a system that leveraged someone else's player. But you know, right. uh, the, but the service was delivering videos to to paying customers. And uh, at that time, we were working with Microsoft to to test out this thing that they had called Mavis, and it's it's an acronym for something that I don't remember what the M and the A stand for. Some kind of analytics, and then the the VIS part was video indexing service. So it, this was a really early version of of what eventually became Azure Media Indexer, uh, and what it does hmm. is it use it leverages you know under the covers behind the scenes it leverages machine learning, and, and today's version I'm sure is leveraging cognitive services um, to analyze audio. Uh, and now video uh, and and you and you can go by the way to video.ai uh, they, they just released this recently um, and, and test it out for yourself uh, and, cool. and you can upload a video and it will spit out uh, you know it'll churn for a little bit and it'll spit out an index of all the text all the speech that's in the video a transcript that you can easily uh, transcribe to other languages that you can translate to other languages and download the VTT files, which is how, uh, closed captioning works on, on video or VTT oh, okay. files. So, uh, and it will do things like allow you to find, uh, let, let's, say that there's a, a reference in the video to Facebook or some <laughs> other well-known brand. Uh, it will actually find all the references to those brands and, and you can click on them and jump through the video. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and one of the examples that they have, uh, one of the labels that comes up is airplane. And it's a it's a news broadcast, and and there's a picture of an airplane in the video, and it lets you push that button and jump to to that frame in the video. Um, and and wow. there's tons of and, and I'm I'm not doing the the product or the service justice, right? But there's a so there's a lot of work going on there in in media indexing, and so I see being able to consume uh live and 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 streaming content like that, if you think of mm-hmm. the nature of a political campaign, not to be stuck in my own domain, but if you think the nature of a yeah, the nature of a political campaign is more and more what's happening right now. You know? Um right. And so being able to analyze that and doing sentiment analysis over it and maybe automatically crafting and drafting responses, uh, right? Or notifying someone that, hey, you know, there was just a report, a a really negative report about our candidate on WKRP in Cincinnati or whatever. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a lot of really interesting and and cognitive services, of course, is what makes all that stuff possible. So I think there's some really interesting stuff that's that's already possible, but I'm, I'm not sure whether or not anyone is really leveraging it yet
2: interesting so what is your favorite part of your current gig the favorite part of my current
0: gig um, so having worked in a a really small company and then a couple medium-sized companies and then a really big company and I'm back in a really small company now uh, my favorite part is probably the environment you know so so we're less than 10 people but we're but we're tackling these really big challenging right. problems and not just big in terms of size of data right but the amount of work that we're trying to get done right so just like everyone else we only have so many hours in the day and we only have so many resources and that's where that you know when i talk about automation and i talk about uh, i haven't actually mentioned azure data lake yet right which is our main our primary uh, data processing technology hmm. these days, you know, but the things we can do with data lake that take minutes today versus hours, or even literally sometimes days just, you know, a year wow. or two ago, uh, you know, so, so that's what, that's what I think is really cool. You know, we we've got a bunch of really smart, talented, dedicated people. We're all driven to succeed. Uh, and, and that kind of environment, it's almost, you know, it's a very startupy like, uh, and it promotes experimentation. Uh, it allows failure because it understands that it's an inherent aspect of progress, right? right? So, and, and I think personally, I, I just really thrive in in that kind of environment. That's really
1: cool. And There's nothing like that feeling of being like on the main nerve, so to speak, and uh, and just living on the yeah. cutting edge. So, we have a few. Um, complete this sentence: When uh, I am not working, I enjoy blank. <laughs> I do enjoy blank. I love a good blank. There goes our iTunes rating, Andy. No, so,
0: uh, darn it. Da, 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 da.
1: <laughs> so, uh,
0: when, <laughs> when I'm not working, I this is gonna sound crazy. I, I enjoy not working. Uh, and when I'm you know, that's a little pithy way of saying that, you know, I think it's really important that we find time away from the screens, you know, that we. Uh, you know, when I was younger, of course, and I was still trying to kind of cut my teeth on technology and learn my way, I'd spend a lot of my free time reading books, which for, for millennials on the, on the podcast, that was how we used to consume <laughs> the internet before the end So it's internet, like a right? Kindle we, then. You read books. Um, you know, but I did. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's, yes, that's, that's, I know, I understand. Um, but so I, you know, so I, I really enjoy getting away from it. And, uh, and so, you know, when I'm when i'm done and i you know, i ha, i have my office and when i'm done working for the day I, I leave my office and i shut the door and the computer stays in the office and uh and and so towards that end i try to do things that are not really technology heavy you know and i have a a, a personal tendency to be very obsessive about my hobbies so you know over the years i've i've gone through a series of, of kind of end all be all hobbies like i spent all of my free time playing golf for a a number of years and that's actually happened several times to me um i played bluegrass music uh or i did you know uh, incessantly for a few years uh i was a boy scout leader for a few years and like that's uh, every night i was off doing some scouting event or at a retreat or we're going camping or you know so uh, but all but all of those have you know they share Again, that that quality of not being technology driven, uh, of, of allowing me to kind of separate my work life from my home life. So today that uh, ah. that obsession is playing pool. That's that's how, I, that's how I spend most of my free time. Yeah. And, and if I'm not playing it, I'm, I'm studying it, <laughs> you know, reading books or watching videos or doing training or. Now, or I've got
2: I've got to ask, Joel, what in the world? I thought pool was about physics. I mean, what sure. is it that you're studying here? How to, you know, how to how to, uh, you know, sucker somebody in, you shoot off <laughs> the first two games and then you get them to bet big? Is that what the books are about, Joe?
0: It's all about double or nothing. <laughs> no, uh the, no, the books that you mentioned physics. Yeah, there's actually there's an alarming amount of physics that's involved. Um, it, it's not just simple angles. You have things like friction and humidity, uh, uh, the quality of the cloth, and the uh, the humidity that's in the air. And I mean, all these things actually come into play. Um, and then there the the physics of of two balls striking each other. Um, mm. It's not just a because I hit you here, you'll go in that direction. That's that's actually too simplistic. Um, there are thing there are ad- things called throw. Yeah, um, it, it, it's very it's it's actually surprisingly complex. Um, and, and there's a couple of brilliant people out there who are doing uh, actual scientific research and study about it, and they publish huh. a lot of their findings. And so, wow, yeah. And then there's the physical skill. It sounds super simple, but the physical skill of making a stick go in a straight line is surprisingly difficult, especially to do consistently. Um, And then, and then making sure that that straight line is actually on the aim that you want it to go on, you know, on the, on the correct path and trajectory. And then you have to understand how the balls react. So when I hit this ball at that angle, well, the cue ball has to go somewhere and there's physics involved in that. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's right. just, it just, goes on and on and on. And it's a, it's a, it's one of the few games I think that uh, I'll never, I'll never grow weary of the challenge of it. Right. And, and I will also never succeed. I will, I will never, uh, you know, achieve the level of ability that I would
2: like. So you're saying you're, you don't think no. you'll ever turn into Harrisonburg fats.
0: The fat, the fat part I've already got. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've got that part down. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so i have to i'll have to explain for our our younger listeners and we have a lot of people uh we i don't know if you know this joel we recently hit fifty thousand downloads um wow and we're not we're still not a year old at the date of this recording and we actually i
0: i should have i should have asked
1: for double my fee oh
2: there you go two times nothing is still nothing yeah <laughs> <laughs> Double and nothing. Uh, that's right. Speaking of double or nothing. Uh, no, <laughs> um, but yeah, 52,000 earlier today, which it's, it's been a, uh, and we haven't put out a lot of material in the past few days. That that kills us. Content's king in this. But the reference I made to Harrisonburg Fats was really about Minnesota Fats, who was a famous pool uh, player back when I was a young man, which was a long, long long time ago when the years used to begin with the number one. So, uh, <laughs> hush, hush,
0: hush, hush. Um, I know, I, so so, so since, since you brought it up, I'll, I'll give a little <laughs> bit of trivia because I also love pool history and trivia. Uh, Minnesota Fats changed his, it's, that's of course his nickname. The man's real name was, Ralph, was Rudolph Wanderone um, and he was a, an unremarkable pool player. Uh, he, you know, he, he was really a showman and he kind of garnered a, a reputation because he took the name Minnesota fats after the movie, the 1961 classic, the hustler where, uh, Jackie Gleason played a character called Minnesota fats. Uh, and mm. so he took that name because of the popularity of the movie and it really bolstered his career ah. again as an entertainer. Um, and then he had a very famous, uh, feud, uh, if you will, with uh, Willie Moscone, who was quite, quite probably the best player who ever lived. And, um, and so he sort of very publicly created this um, hmm. uh, this rivalry, this, this un, unreal rivalry between the two, because any time that they actually played, Moscone just killed him. But anyway, so that's my, that's my, uh, that's my Minnesota Fats Interesting.
1: story for you.
0: <laughs> Before that, he, he one of his several nicknames was New York hmm. Fats. Then, man, as far as I know, he'd never actually been to Minnesota.
1: Uh, the Wikipedia uh, page says that he was born in New York City.
2: That is interesting. Mm. Yeah, makes sense.
1: Makes a lot of sense.
0: And he was one of those guys, by the way, uh, who would, after a couple games, <laughs> let double the bet after losing a couple games.
2: So. <laughs> Well, the only person on this uh, that show be Frank. that's from anywhere near New York is Frank. Yep. That would be me. Yeah. I, I don't know, Frank. I, I mean, that sounds a little stereotypical to me to be picking on our brothers uh, from New York. I don't know. They're not like Frank that doesn't want to life. answer that question. Um, <laughs> there's a reason why. <laughs> <laughs> We have a lot of people listening to the show in New York City. I actually I ran into a few this weekend. I was up in New York City, and um, yes, yeah, so I don't think I was. I was trying to set Frank up. He artfully <laughs> and properly did not answer the question, which is appropriate. See, I also worked on. It's, it's <laughs> very appropriate that we're talking about politics on this show. And <laughs> yes, Andy, thank you very much for okay. your questions <laughs> Now let's talk about. I do have another question for you, Joel. Um, let's complete this sentence. I think the coolest thing in technology today is
0: it's uh, serverless computing. So I, I talked a little bit earlier about Azure Functions and, and Logic Apps. Um, right. So, so like, uh, you know, if I want to create uh, an API, I can do that in Azure Functions. It's all you know, REST-based stuff uh, that will do things. And an example, as a matter of fact, I tweeted about it this morning, was that uh, yesterday I wrote a uh, a blob. So we deal a lot with Azure blob storage. Uh, and, you know, right. so if you drop a blob in a container, you can actually set it up to fire events. And so uh, a, a blob creation event and a blob deletion event from a blob storage container will fire uh, and you can process that with event grid uh, or uh, in our case, we did that with logic app. So I wrote a logic app that only, only executes when a new blob is dropped into a container. And then it takes that blob and it passes the URL to an Azure function. The Azure function looks up that storage accounts connection string in Azure key vault and then it connects to the blob storage and then it looks up the blob and it creates a, a SAS token, a uh, mm. secure, yeah, secure access signature, uh, and appends that token to the URL and then sends it back to the logic app. And then the logic app uh, emails that to someone or executes a webhook call to some other service or something of that nature. And that's something that in the past, you know, we would have to manually go and do all of those steps. But now with you know with, with uh, again these automated pipelines uh, and serverless computing, I can have that happen, and I don't have to pay to have an API up and running twenty four seven. I don't have to have something on a scheduler that goes and pulls that uh, that uh, container you know once an hour or whatever to see if there's anything new in there. It just happens, um, and so there's a ton mm. of things that become possible uh and affordable in in that kind of environment. So to me that's sort of the coolest thing that's happening right now is that we really are getting to the point where I don't think anymore about VMs and I don't think anymore about servers and patching and updates and deployments and all that kind of stuff. I think about writing code. I think about solving
1: problems.
2: That's nice
1: yeah I'm, yeah it's an interesting paradigm shift, isn't it
0: it really is and and paradigm shift is absolutely correct so uh you know i spent the last couple of weeks since build build sort of finally turned the the my men i mentally turned the corner on this whole concept you know I spent the last couple of weeks studying about. Uh, you know, microservices uh, and 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 the cons and then you know the the architectural concerns around those and the problems that they're trying to solve, uh, and it and it is it's a completely different way of thinking about writing applications. So uh, so yeah, paradigm shift is absolutely the the right way to think of it.
1: We have another complete this sentence. I look forward to the day when I can use technology to blank. So I don't I don't actually know how to answer that. Because,
0: in my mind, technology is best when it's invisible i i'm I'm an odd duck technologist right like i, I I'm not really a gadget guy and I, I don't I don't like technology for technology's sake. I also don't dislike technology for technology's sake right I, I I try to be very agnostic about technology so I don't care too much about me using technology so there's nothing in particular that I want to do with technology um what I want is for technology to allow, you know, uh, again, really smart people to do things like cure cancer, uh, you know, solve problems with the the, the global water supply, you know, and, and and I want technology, and I think you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning and uh, you know, and deep neural networks can solve a lot of these problems. Um, and, and that's what I want. I, I want to see technology do those okay. things. I don't care if I'm doing it. matter of fact, it shouldn't be that I'm doing it. I shouldn't have to do anything. The result of the thing should just be there and, and be pervasive to, to the culture. So, so that's sort of how that's I it. think oh. of that. I, I, don't, I don't care about technology. <laughs> like, so I'm, a, I'm right. almost an anti-technologist. Right. The ideal technology in my mind is a technology I don't have to do anything with. Um, That's another reason why Hmm. I love, you know, back to the whole serverless thing, right? And and again, these automated pipelines is I don't want to have to go in and do stuff. I just want it to work. I just want it to happen. So on on a lighter note, I do want a transporter and replicator from Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) And I want a lightsaber from Star Wars. So if I could have those three things, you can keep the jetpack. I I want those things.
1: Makes sense. (laughs) Um so share something different about yourself but do remember we'd like to keep our iTunes uh uh clean rating and and let folks listen to this podcast while they're in the car with their family.
0: No no problem. I I'm a very PG kind of guy. Um mm-hmm. I I've, I've I've actually spent the last <laughs> couple years working on a Juris Master's degree in American legal studies and And the first question that everyone who's listening to this is thinking is, "What the heck is that? Um, I call it law school light uh,
1: <laughs> it, it
0: is a law- sc- it is a law degree and, and it's from a law school um however, I will not be uh, I, I will not be qualified to sit for the bar or to practice law or do anything of that nature um, it's really the philosophical and academic study of the law um the history of the law and, and you know hmm. Why we have the you know, how the law works and 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 why we have the laws that we have today, and especially the common law history that goes back to the 1600s in England and uh, that we still live under today uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S. So I've I've spent the last couple of years doing that. Um, I started it when I was at Microsoft because I was working in the legal affairs division, and I thought it would be a really nice career booster, you know, if I stayed there at the company. That ended up not happening, but I enjoy the content enough that I'm, I'm finishing it uh, on my own. You know um, oh, very cool. And so I started my final class yesterday so in a couple months I will I I'll actually graduate and get my degree oh. and then nice. And then as a, a reward to myself for for finally finishing I'm this uh, fall I'm going to get my professional billiards instructor certification. Oh, awesome. yeah so Ooh. so that's th- those are two kind of different things about me, I guess.
1: Awesome.
2: I don't know. They sound related and uh, dangerously. Hmm. I don't.
1: We can. Oh, well, if we see him rolling <laughs> up in like you know a uh, Bugatti or a Lamborghini, then we'll know.
2: That's what I'm thinking. It's like you think that you won this no. pool tournament, but let me explain <laughs> to you why you did that. not. That's a precedent <laughs> from 1609. Very very nice. <laughs> so. Um, where can people learn more about you, Joel?
0: Well, I you know so okay, uh, we, we should talk about social media.
2: Okay, let's talk about
0: social media. Um, I used to be super <laughs> let's talk about social media. I used to be super active on uh, Twitter in particular, and I, and if you can find me on social media at all, that's where it's going to be today. Uh, I did delete my Facebook account. Um, and, and unfortunately it's, it, it has the appearance of being because of the recent hubbub and, uh, Zuckerberg being at Congress and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is I actually tried to delete it a couple years ago, uh, and I was still using windows phone at the time. (laughs) And for those of you on the call, who have no idea what I'm talking about. Microsoft used to have a phone operating system on really nice devices with a fantastic user interface called windows phone. Um, and I, I would bet money that that Frank here knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, it was a great platform that just didn't succeed. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm digressing. So my story about Facebook is that well, I tried to delete it, but at the time, Microsoft's. Windows Phone operating system was very tightly integrated with your Facebook account, and that's where your contacts and things came from. So I did did turn off, I I managed to deactivate my account several years ago, and as soon as I did, my Windows Phone became virtually useless. So I ended up reactivating it. Um, And then I've been on iPhone for about a year now, uh, and I realized, oh, I don't need that Facebook thing anymore. So I did actually, I I went in and deactivated it. So I'm not on Facebook anymore. my big problem with social media in general is uh, that it's, it's redefined things like what it means to be a friend and what it means to like something and what, it, you know, it's, it's changed the terminology mm-hmm. and I'm just old enough and fuddy duddy enough that uh, that really bothers me, you know, because words have meanings and communication should be more direct and personal. And so I, I've just, I've drifted away from social media over the last few years and that's my, that's my little rant on on social media. So if you want to find me, um, you can find me on Twitter uh, and I will occasionally pop in and see what's going on there. And I tweet once in a while uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn.
1: So you, do, you don't have a blog anymore? Or did you shut that down?
0: I re- So you can go to joelcochran.com and I think 2013 or 14 might be the last thing that was out there. I had a really, really popular blog back when blogs were something. Uh, called developing for, f o r dot uh, and it's still up because pe- you know people still use those old articles all the time. The videos don't work. Uh, I'm not the video. I'm sorry. Uh, the the images don't work because I had a server crash. There's actually one of the last blog posts about that. Um, but but the articles are still out there. So I, I technically have two blogs. Uh, neither of which I pay any attention to. So uh, I've actually started a thing uh, inside of, of Causeway where we're, we're going to try and, and produce more technical content for folks. So if you go to CausewaySolutions.com, on the blog there, there's a couple blog posts. And like the most recent one that I wrote maybe three or four weeks ago uh, is about how to set up a linked service to Azure Data Lake from Azure Data Factory. Uh, for use, I, rather, I'm sorry, in Azure Data Factory, which is a surprisingly uh, onerous thing to do, <laughs> Where it's really easy to connect to SQL Server or blob storage or virtually anything else, but it's really uh, a bear to get it set up originally for data lake. Oh, wow. But that's working, and so there's a really long step-by-step guideline in how to do that, and so we want to start pushing out a lot of content like oh. that. Very good. And then I, I do, I speak about, three or three or four or five times a year at various events. And so you might run into me at a, at a conference or a user group or something, but nothing on the order of what I used to.
1: Oh, okay. So are you into audiobooks at all?
0: I, no, I, I oh. actually read paper. What? I, yeah, on my Kindle.
1: That's crazy, on Kindle.
0: I read paper <laughs> on my Kindle. I do both. I, I do both. I do about 50% paper, actual physical paper, uh, and I do about 50% Kindle.
1: I think you were the and guy my, whose Kindle I first saw because I was very skeptical. I've the had coffee. them for
0: years. I've actually been a big yeah. fan of, of the Kindle concept. Um, this is my third or fourth one, but but my Kindle is a paper white. so I don't use a Fire. I don't have an Android tablet. I don't have an iPad. I don't. I, again, uh, you know, when I'm not working, I, I try really hard to get away from from that kind of stuff. I do spend too much time on my phone. Yeah. You know? So it's one thing I learned switching from windows phone to iPhone is that there really is an interesting world of apps and stuff out there. So I know. So, <laughs> you know, so I, you know, I have to eat my words a little bit in that regard. I, you know, and it's funny that family time is now my wife and I will sit together in the living room and we're both playing the same game on our cell phones.
1: Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that sometimes counts mm-hmm. as
0: family time.
1: But. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever did want to explore the wonderful world of audiobooks, Audible is a sponsor of ours, and uh they've hooked up uh our listeners with a free audiobook, so you can take advantage of this. URL to take advantage of that is the datadrivenbook.com. Is that correct, Andy?
2: That's correct. The datadrivenbook.com.
1: Uh-huh. So there you go, you can get one free book. Even you could use that, Joel. They don't, I, they I don't could. They don't discriminate. don't discriminate. They don't, discriminate. That's what, uh,
0: they don't ask. No. They don't ask paper or – Don't ask, don't you know? tell. Or electric.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's a number of books we really been, have enjoyed on there. I am currently listening to uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average again for like the 10th time. Um, and I think uh, we both uh, – uh, we both uh, finished up Crushing It by Gary Vaynerchuk, which is pretty interesting
2: we did. And I started listening to, uh, to be obsessed or be average too. And, um, it's, uh, it's just one of those books. It's, it's going to be one. I think I, I also listened to crush it again after listening to crushing it twice. Um, and again, Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone. Um, I, you know, I, I find those types of, uh, success books, very inspirational and, uh, well, the reason I have an Alexa spot is because of some material in Crushing It that Gary Vee mentioned.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's uh, got some big plans. So actually, Joel, you may not have known this, but you are the – I guess what we're going to call our second season. You're the first guest of the second season.
0: Woohoo! Hashtag, so, hashtag
1: first. Hashtag first. There that's right. There you go. So um, – so with that, any 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 parting words of wisdom, Joel?
0: Nope. See that. Okay. See that was it. That, that was all my wisdom. That was <laughs> uh, I'll
1: cr- maybe I'll add crickets in post production. That would know. be awesome. <laughs> that would be great.
0: No man. Uh, no no parting words of wisdom, but I, I really enjoyed uh, catching up with you guys, and, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: All right, thanks for having us, and we'll let the nice British lady finish the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen, become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at
2: datadriven.tv.